Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my weekly Sunday RPG. In this case, I am running a Numenera campaign. We just started a brand new campaign using using Numenera, the game system and world written by uh, Monty Cook Games. It is a system that I love. I, I really dig it both from, I, I like the mechanics a lot of the system, but I also really, really love the world. So I'm very excited to be able to run a campaign in this world. It, this show is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you uh, enjoy shows like this and you want access to exclusive adventures and exclusive previews of videos and all kinds of DM tips and DM tricks and all sorts of great stuff. You can do so by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes below. To the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you very much for your support. We had our session zero. So let's talk about our characters today. We have six characters or five, five, six. One of the characters had to go and does not yet have a name. So we don't know who that is. We have one of the things I really love about Numenera is that you build. When you make your characters, you have a cool descriptor for your character, cool description of your character that describes both their mechanics and what their place in the world. We have Biko. Uh, Biko is played by my friend Pat, and he is a swift jack who rides the lightning. Uh, I don't think we have pictures for him. He likes to be in the fray. We, we kind of said, like, who's in the front, who's in the back, you know, generally? Like, what's your play style? And he's like, I'm everywhere. We have Cecilia. Cecilia is played by Sharon. Cecilia actually has an image. She's kind of an insectoid looking person, like a, like a wasp, a wasp person. And she, the adjective noun who verbs, exactly. She is a graceful Jack who wields power with precision. She has DNA from the fourth world, which kind of gives her a, you know, an insectoid like feature, but you know, there's weirder there's weirder people in the world of Numenera, so that is not a not a big deal. She has a pretty big uh, backstory. She was thinking about it between sessions, so we've got kind of an interesting thing. And one of hers is that she's kind of nearing the end of her life. And at the end of her life, she actually metamorphosizes into kind of a great big caterpillar thing. So she's coming coming close to that. So that's pretty neat. Juniper is played by Juliet. That is a cheerful nano who possesses a shard of the sun. And what's interesting is every time we were rolling on like ciphers and other things that she had, they all came out being like sun-like things. They're like, isn't it funny how that works out? She likes to be in the edge of the fray. She's also very, from, from the initial side, very like optimistic. She's, she's the one that's like, hey, everybody. She's like the, she's the first one to like say, we should all get together for like a happy hour tonight, right? Or we should all, right? She's like, you know, and, and she was always like, oh, I'll be the one to say like, let's do the falling exercise, fall back into our arms exercise, our trust, trust exercises, which actually resulted in the adventure happening. We have Nakia played by Jerry. He is a benef beneficent, I don't know how to pronounce that. Beneficent Jack who acts without consequences. That's a little scary. Real name is William P. Jacobs. Uh, and is a noble who is about to who is out there to try to learn at the real world. So he sort of like stepped out of nobility and is kind of figuring things out. And he has this like weird device that sounds like an old Nokia cell phone. And he saw that it's like been rushed away and says Nokia on there. Somehow it managed to last 900 million years, probably sealed up in a Ziploc bag or something like that. We have Jay who's playing Sam Sam G. Very cool picture. Samji is a protective glaive, glaive who fuses flesh and steel. But in secret, I think Samji is actually a full construct. Benef beneficent. 
beneficent. Thank you. So, you know, he told everybody that this is the case, but he's like, but not everybody knows it. So uh, old gentle giant built for a long forgotten war, trying to rediscover his place in society and within humanity. Very cool. And then we have Joe who is playing a meddlesome Jack who exists partially out of phase, but had he had to leave partway through the session. So he does not have, we don't have all of his information yet. We don't know everything about that. So our adventure began in this city of Bodrov. Bodrov. He phased out. Bodrov is this really cool looking place. It is a like a, a big pillar that's like a big table, right? And the whole city kind of exists up on the top of this table. It holds very few. What are jacks and nanos? Is that a Numenera thing? Yes. So Nicole, welcome. A jack is sort of a rogue bard, right? They are sort of the, the, the easiest one is thinking about like a rogue or a bard, right? They're kind of involved in a lot of different things and they can manipulate stuff, but they are... You know, yeah, easiest way to think of them as a rogue or a bard. And a nano is sort of your equivalent of a wizard or a cleric. They're sort of your spellcastery types. They're able, nanos are able to tap into the ancient, multi-generational, crazy high technology that is so, yeah, jack is in jack of all trades, right? And nanos are able to tap into the, essentially the magic of the world, which is actually super advanced technology. Right. So, and then glaives are your kind of rough and tumble fighter types. So you really think about it. So you have like, you have, you have fighters, you have rogues and you have spellcasters and these that's, that's your glaive, Jack and Nano. There's actually others as well. There's three, I think there's three new ones in Numenera destiny, three new sides, but I, I kind of ask the character, the players to just pick those three because a, I know them and B like, we're just getting to know the system. So the characters began at Bodrov and they were doing the fallback exercise. I forget what it's called. The trust fall, right? And I'm going to have to remember all these characters' names. They were doing the trust fall and Juniper was doing a trust fall. And I don't remember who for, uh, probably for Samji maybe. And Samji fell back and hit Juniper and Juniper fell back as well because Samji is really big. And it crashed through the ground and fell, created a sinkhole and they went tumbling ah down these passageways and boom landed in this ancient chamber that hadn't been opened for many many centuries and now they were stuck down there and that was like you know hey it's kind of a fun you know fun way to sort of get involved and my goal was like i wanted to have like a small Everyone's worst trust fall nightmare is like not only falling, but having the ground collapse under your feet and then everybody falls. It was just kind of a fun way to play off of one of the things that the character said and turn it into a, a hook. And my goal was I wanted to have a very small dungeon where we could experiment with the mechanics, where you could try all the things out that we wanted to try just as a good way to sort of get involved in what was going on. And so far it has done so. Uh, I don't think they they haven't fought anything yet. They're right about to fight something. And then we'll see what the combat mechanics are like. And so do I have it in here? Yeah, the sinkhole, right? The sinkhole was like, I, I used the dungeon generator that is inside of, what's it called? Jade Colossus. So the module or the, the adventure book, Jade Colossus, Ruins of Prior World, includes a pretty great ruin generator, right? And I used this ruin generator. Look at this. Ah, I'm tell you the art in this, these books. So gorgeous. The ruin generator lets you build small ruins, right? Look at this one. Isn't that one great? I want to make that our little side picture here. Look at that. 
So, so I, I said, well, let me try it out. Like I, you know, I looked at it. I'm like, eh, it's probably fine. Right. And I used it. And the only thing I didn't like is like when you have to roll dice to determine like a hallway is connected to a room and there's so many exits from that room that turn into other hallways. I'm like, why don't I just grab a Dyson map? Right. And so I normally I would just grab a Dyson map. But I said, like, let me actually try this and see it works. And it did. And it built a nice small dungeon, which I hand wrote in my scratchy, you know, scratchy writing, terrible writing with a little pencil, just to give him a small thing. And you could tell it's a little bit of jQuay style stuff. It's got like a secret passageway here that connects. It's got two different rooms, it's got different choices. And the idea is like, I, you know, the problem, I don't even have an exit, right? So I'm going to have to put an exit onto one of these things that there's like a, a shaft that they can sort of, you know, that they can kind of get out, get out from underneath. And so they came into this first one and there was this crazy, this crazy machine that was like a conveyor with synth boxes that was making things. It was broken. So their first thing was like, can they manipulate that in order to pull a cipher from it? Right. And so they were, uh, they were able to pull a cipher out of this thing. It was, you know, I said, it's a level four challenge. We did the whole kind of challenge thing and it was cool to come up with ad hoc challenges. And, and, and it was, you know, I don't have... I, I think some people have trouble. This is something I have to be more cognizant of. I think some people have trouble improvising challenges. This is important for D&D too. If it's easy for you to think of a situation in the world and then quickly come up with a DC between like 10 and 25, then you're doing fine. And for me, it is. Like for me, I just make it up and I'm good, right? And that's the way Numenera works. So, you know, the way that Numenera works, you come up with a challenge between one and 10, one being very easy and 10 being nearly impossible, almost impossible, you know, very, very close, that's very close to impossible. And luckily I'm pretty good at that. So, so the idea of coming with improvised challenges, that's one thing that I think Numenera, it might be Numenera's strongest trait, right? The, the, the thing I love best about the cipher system, that the underlying mechanics of Numenera is that nearly everything in the game from small tasks that you do to great big problems that you're facing to world ending catastrophes come down to a number between one and 10. And between that number one and 10, you know, all different kinds of things. If you're built, you can build a monster with just that number. I don't need any other mechanics. I don't need any chart or table. All I need to know is uh, if, if I want to make a level four creature, I know that it takes, you have to roll 12 or better to hit it. I know you have to roll 12 or better to defend against it. I know that it does four damage on a hit. I know that it has 12 hit points, right? I already know like all of the things that I need to build a creature I can do with just one number, right? The way you do like the target numbers, the target number is three times the level, right? And that's what you have to roll in a die in order to succeed. So I really, that's one, I think that's the strongest feature of the cipher system. And I keep looking for ways to bring that into D&D and I can never quite get there. I get real close. There's some good tables in the Lazy DM's Companion, a good little chart that talks about how to take a, a CR, a challenge rating, and turn that into DC, hit points, armor class, attack bonus, damage, and all the rest. And you can kind of build a monster right out. But it's not as easy as this. It's just the mechanics, the way that D&D doesn't... The math of D&D does not allow you to come up with nearly as easy an equation as this one does. CR is not as robust. Exactly. So, so they got in here. They walked down the hall. They saw that there were a couple different paths that they could take, a couple different doors. And they opened up the door. And inside that door, they, they, they ran into a Latos adjunct, ad, adjunct. A Latos adjunct. Let's look at what a Latos adjunct is like because they're about to fight one. Here it is. 
Humanoid auto automatons possessing a, uh, a body composed of strange alloy and transparent sphere for a head. Within the sphere is a misty face, one that each viewer recognizes as their own. Adjuncts are sometimes seen in proximity to far more noticeable figures called Latoses, 50 feet tall. Latos sports a transparent sphere. So I don't think there's a Latos. There may be a Latos that's like buried down deep. The Latos supports a transparent sphere for a head that apparently contains a space for an, of ancient importance, permanently preserved and deserted. Adjuncts seem to act sometimes like Lados herders and defenders, other times like servants sent out to gather specimens for study. So in this case, and so it's a, a level five monster, so it's actually pretty tough, right? And this one normally would have 15 hit points, but this one has more hit points and actually does more damage uh, and has armor. So it, this one actually looks like it's more dangerous than a typical level five creature. I'm, you know, I may have to modify that because we're running up against tier one, tier one creatures. So we'll have to see. But the idea is like it's an ancient creature. So so in my case, it is a creature that was trying to build an artifact, has been trying to build this artifact for centuries, millennia, and been able to do so and has been slowly, you know, breaking down. Their mental faculties have been breaking down. And now it has become so frustrated. It only knows frustration and pain. And when the characters come in, it just unleashes that frustration and pain upon them. So now we've got a nice big monster, you know, to, to, to hit people and that's to try it out. But I think I, I kind of rolled this randomly, right? When I was building the thing, I was, I was kind of rolling it randomly, but I think that, that this is going to lead into some of the stuff I want to do. And so let's start off for our start off by generating a session planning template because we now have an actual game session today. And today is sick. I don't really need to say anything else because it's already inside the Numenera campaign. So one little trick, I, a little change that I made to the template is now I have the table is embeddable inside the page. So now when I'm reviewing my characters, I can just review them right here. I don't have to go to a separate page to review them. Little trick, little, little trick that I did for this one. Uh, I would probably, I don't know if I added that trick. Let's see, we can move this guy over here. I will probably add that to the default template because I think it's a pretty good one. We'll see how that goes. So the strong start is the madness of the Latos adjunct. And we will, it is on page 91 of the bestiary two. They have three bestiaries. Just so I have that, that going. Yeah, so I mean, that's, you know, as strong starts go, getting attacked by a crazy automaton from many millennia back. That works for me make our lives easy, right? So defeat the automaton, the adjunct. Discover the artifact pieces. This also happened from the random rolls, right? So I rolled about like, what does it take that the adjunct was trying to build an, an artifact in here? What does it take to build the artifact? And the answer is it takes a level, it was, I rolled it and it was level 10, which means you have to roll a 30 or better to be able to put this artifact back together. The answer to that is the artifact is not repairable to their it, it currently, right? Now, maybe they have to find something, right? And they have to find something to repair this thing, right? This ancient artifact. What is it? I'm not sure. So one of the things we're going to do today, which I think is important, is come up. One, one thing that was very clear to me. Oh, one thing I need to do is we need to finish our session zero because we didn't really finish uh, the session zero. You know, I have my, let's see, we're gonna link to this. There were a few things we didn't do. One thing we didn't do, which is important, is we didn't describe our safety tools. And so I, I definitely wanna do that. 
Defeat the adjunct. Investigate the artifact. I don't know what the artifact is yet. And then escape to Badrov. And then new... So they, they chose a patron. And the patron they chose... We'll get to those big events. Terence the Explorer, they decided, was their patron. So they're going to meet Terence the Explorer. And then jobs. They get new jobs. And I, I, sh I want to come up with three new jobs three new jobs that Terrence might offer them that may be based on this and i think i think you know for the first couple of sessions i think it's fine to just you know for we're, we're exploring the characters we're exploring the system i don't need to have great big hefty plot lines and stuff like that so we're going to figure out we're going to figure out what that is uh what those jobs are we should probably i guess kind of do that first well let's see yeah, so that so so the immediate jobs are more important than the bigger the bigger goals, and probably than a lot of the other steps. So I think we're going to start with jobs. We're going to do that right now, and to generate jobs, I am going to be using the my science fantasy generator, which I put together based on material that was in the companion. This science fantasy generator is one of a number of different generators you can find in Uncovered Secrets Volume 2, which is available to patrons of Sly Flourish. So if you like this and you're like, man, I really want that. I want stuff like that. You can get it by joining the Patreon and getting Uncovered Secrets Volume 2. It's very similar to the stuff that you would find in uh, the Lazy DMs Companion or in Uncovered Secrets Volume 1, which is all the material that was in the Companion. So, but it has a flavor in the high science, in the high science area. There was some other important point I wanted to make about that, but I can't remember what. So we are going to roll on. So we already have our patron. We know who that is. So what three quests? We're going to just roll a couple of D20s and come up with a couple of quests that he can, a couple of jobs, right? One in 13, find an item or uh, disable an artifact. Oh, find an item, disable an artifact. And let's do one more. 19. Discover a monument. Okay, so let's go back to find an item. Uh, what is the item they need to find? It is, this is the Silda Science Fantasy Generator, right? My my items look fantasy-like. Uh, a three, a blade. That's pretty cool. Somebody's going to be excited about that. Find a blade. The monument is 10. Uh, a cryo tank. Discover a cryo tank. Find a blade. And the other one was disable an artifact, I think. So that is also an item. Uh, nine. Let's see what that is. Nine is a sphere. Disable a sphere. Why do they want to disable a sphere? Okay, cool. Where are they going to do these jobs, right? Where do they, where do they need to do this? So we'll pick three, six, and 15. Six is a ship. 15 is a portal complex. And 20 is a, in the data sphere. Okay. A ship. Disable a sphere in a, let's see, this is cool. What was the other one I, I rolled? I, I screwed up, 15 it was, the portal complex. Okay, so those are kind of cool, right? I like those I like those quests. Let's get some details of the ship, the portal complex, and the, the, the ship probably needs some details. So we can use I, these condition description and origin ones I think are really pretty cool. So we'll, we'll do the ship first and we'll do three rolls. I need a third D20. 
I'm going to go get a third D20 and add it to my box here because I'm rolling three, three a lot. That is a 15, a 15, 20, and three. 15, a cracked, moss-covered machine. Machine ship. Cracked. Cracked, moss-covered machine ship. There is a blade. The portal complex. 2, 2, and 13. An acidic, ancient, otherworldly portal complex. Pretty cool. Discover a cryotank in a data sphere. What's, you know, I don't know if this is going to work on the data sphere side. We'll, we'll find out. 17, 13, and 5. Glyft encapsulated avian data sphere. I don't know where the avian part comes in. And let's, so the other thing is you can use these conditions, descriptions, and origins for the, for the other, for the objects as well. So find a blade. What about this blade? The blade is a, a transparent, colossal, transparent, colossal aquatic. I don't like colossal, but I like transparent aquatic. Now let's try a different condition Two, ancient. All right. Sure. That's pretty cool. I like that quest feels pretty filled out to me, right? Disable a sphere. Uh, so what's, what about this sphere? Let's learn more about this sphere. 14, 15, and 18. Crystalline, cracked, reptilian. Lizard people. Crystalline, cracked, reptilian sphere in an ancient, acidic, ancient, otherworldly portal complex. I mean, so there's like this reptilian angle and the acid part kind of sounds interesting, right? And then about the crowd tank. What, what would be, man, this is going to be scary. 16, 16, 6, and 11. A nano-laced, swarming nanobot. Wow, nano, nano, nano. Uh, nano-laced nanobot cryotank in a glyphed encapsulated avian data sphere. I could get behind these, right? So I think, I think I've rolled enough to figure this stuff out. So the idea that like Terence the Explorer said that there is a, an artifact out there. It is a ancient transparent, it's a, it's a blade of, of you know, there is a, how would he get word? I guess like an ancient text, right? Let's, let's break this down. So describes a, this was captain of a ship able to fully submerge underwater, led by a captain known as, and let's, we'll just grab a name, Captain Aramis. And let's give him another name, Aramis Greystone. He wielded a blade made out, and we said it's a transparent aquatic blade, a blade made of water. Flowing water. Terence learned of the location of this sunken ship nearby. It asks the characters to recover the blade. That's cool. All right, that's filled out. Uh, disable. A crystalline cracked reptilian sphere in an ancient, uh, acidic ancient otherworldly portal complex. So how about explorers have returned to Badrov saying they found a, an ancient complex with liquid 
with acidic liquid all over it. Right? With acidic liquid and ancient portals swirling with energy. They're growing in violent power and may either cause storms. They're already causing storms. Or worse, open up into another world. Unknown world. So I think that one's pretty cool. Discover a nano-laced swarming nanobot cryotank in a glyphed encapsulated avian data sphere. So where would this be? So I think Terrence uh, recovered a canister from another job. It's sealed and filled with swarming nanobites. Nanites, right? There's a data, what, what do they call it? All right, we, we were just, we were just looking at that. There is a data sphere interface, but Terrence, Terrence is worried he wouldn't make it out if he went in alone. So you're jacking into the matrix, right? So he's saying like, hey, I can build an interface where all of you guys can go in there and you can run around the data sphere and try to find out what this thing is. Try to learn more about what these nanites are. I think the avian part could be like the world that they enter is sort of an avian world. I think that works. Seven of nine called. She wants her nanites back. Right. You would think that like mucking around with, you know, with a nanite box would be, would be rough. So I think that those are the three jobs that they will, that they will take. Probably in today's session, they will actually choose one and get started. So I will probably have to scramble a little bit to, to come up with some stuff for this, right? It would have obviously been ideal. I mean, I, you know, worst case I can always, and I did this actually in my, in my recent Wild Beyond the Witchlight game, is I called it early, right? When, they, when, they, when I realized where they were going and I realized I didn't have a lot for them to do, and I was like, I can just keep improving, you know, total seat in my pants. Or I could say, hey, why don't we, you know, it was like a half hour early. And I said, why don't we call it today? And then I'll have more interesting things to do next time. It would be great if these jobs were all at the end of the session instead of in the middle of the session. So maybe we'll try to do more exploring around Badrav and a little bit of kind of downtime before they take this job and go on the job. But then they'll select the job. I might, I, yeah, I might talk to the players about that because I think it would be far, if I knew which one of these they were going to do and which one they were going to choose, I think that that would work. It would be better if I was then able to fill that out more, if I knew next time what I was going to fill it out with, right? Then, then having, then com going completely, because either I could spend a lot of time filling out all three of these places, but they might not be interested in them. So I don't know. But that, oh, so, so we can meet Terrence the Explorer, jobs, and then we can say downtime, right? Maybe we offer Imbadrov. You know, that could be, that could be sort of the, the end and then travel to the job, right? I think, I think that that, I think that that could work. So, so here's something else I wanted to do today. Let's see. I don't need that. And that is, I, I, I want to try to come up with a bigger, a bigger idea of like what's happening in the world. You know, I don't have a theme for this campaign. I realized that when we were doing the session zero notes last time, I don't know what the hell this campaign's about, right? It's like, well, we're playing Numenera, 
you know, and that's fine, right? And and you know, hey, I've got jobs and I've got interesting NPCs. This is this is not bad. It's not a campaign, right? It is so far adventures. It is, you know, it doesn't even have as much of a campaign as like Dragon of Ice Spire Peak has. And Dragon of Ice Spire Peak doesn't really it has barely any anything. So I was trying to think of like what would be a cool campaign arc, right? And I'm making this up completely like it's just you know this is my own campaign i'm not i decided not to do a published setting that has something so i yesterday last evening right before bed i said let me what are 10 possible big events that could occur i think i think the idea of the camp the campaign would be an event occurs and the event is a big deal and it matters to the factions that exist in the world and it, it's going to matter to the characters and it's a big thing and so i came up with 10 some of these i just pulled out of my ass, right? And then some of them I actually used the villain generator from uncovered from from the Lazy DM's companion to give to to spark ideas, right? One thing is like I use my own tools. So, you know, I don't just make stuff and throw it to you guys. I these are these are things I like to use too. And so the villain generator actually really helped fire up my imagination on things. But I bet you I can start to combine a few of these. So I'll rip through them real quick. A silver sphere comes out of this the sky. It's a herald for a much larger extraterrestrial construct that may threaten all the planet. Okay. A, a spire of jade pierces out of the ground nearby, warranting a new age for discovery. This is Jade Colossus. Like, could I throw Jade Colossus in here? Maybe. A dying construct. This is where I started rolling on the villain generator. Uh, a dying construct falls to the earth with a dire message. That's actually similar to number one. And maybe we could kind of mix those together. For a herald proclaims the rise of the emperor of a fourth age, returning of the, the, the rise of the emperor of the fourth age. You know, herald proclaims the rise of the emperor of the fourth age returns and demands fealty. So like an old emperor is coming back saying we're, we're in charge, right? And a herald kind of shows up to do this. A call from a trapped monstrosity brings cultists and knights alike to awaken or bury it back underground, right? So like something down below is wants to rise up. Powerful Aeon Priest wishes to prove, wishing to prove herself begins to awaken ancient constructs with a tenuous connection. Maybe, right? A being of great power wishes to step between worlds and enter our own. It has begun to form dark alliances in the data sphere, right? Uh, a powerful crime lord seeks to rise in political power by blowing up temples in the end. An elder evil wishes to wipe clean the ninth age before it grows, thus causing another extinction. A vengeful villager wishes to devour everything by building an invincible army from the remnants of the past. So I think like these are all kind of interesting storylines, but I think there's like a few connections and there's a few things I like. I sort of like the silver sphere coming out of the sky. So like, let's, the ma let's mash these up, right? So what do I like? I like the silver sphere coming out of the sky. And warns, it's both, it's a herald, right? Of catastrophic events. I like that one. And that one kind of covers three, right? The dying construct falls to the earth. Is it dying? Is the sphere dying? I don't know. A herald proclaims the rise of the fourth emperor. I, I kind of like that one as a, I mean, that could be the same thing, right? A herald proclaims the rise of the fourth emperor who will rule for a million years as it did in the past and demands fealty, right? I like the idea that the Herald is a villager, right? All right, just a normal being protect, you know, who is protected by powerful constructs, maybe. This, you know, a kind of the, the, this, this, the fourth emperor wishes to clean the slate for a new age. Uh, the fourth emperor 
is otherworldly. So it didn't come from earth, right? It's not a person. It's this being of great power that can step between worlds. I like that. It is a trapped monstrosity. It brings the fourth emperor, brings both cultists, you know, and knights and opposing knights. Yeah, I kind of like that. It's Galactus, right? It's this idea that Galactus is coming. I think it's kind of cool to both worship and thwart the coming. Is there anything else from here? Spira Jade, nah. Herald Proclaim, yes. Trap Monstrosity, yes. There could be a splinter group, a splinter group of Aeon Priests. I believe the fourth emperor can bring great advancement and prosperity to the world. Right? So that there's a splinter group of Aeon Priests and began rising machines in its service. That's cool. Uh, Crime Lord, nah, don't care. I think, you know, so I think this covers a lot of what we got. And so, I mean, just while I'm talking here, I like this idea of the rise of the fourth emperor, right? A being, an otherworldly being wishes to step, which is to return to the world and create a new age, wiping out, out the ninth age before it even began. I think that's pretty cool, right? I think the idea that the fourth, so the fourth emperor is, is, this, is this entity, right? And I like the idea that it might, it, it exists both physically in this world spiritually in the outside and even has part of it that exists inside of the data sphere, right? The fourth emperor has traversed physical, the physical world, the outside, and even the data sphere. So what, like, think about like a cybernetic Cthulhu, right? A cyborg Cthulhu. I like that. These are kind of cool. This feels pretty cool to me, right? I, I think I'm I think I'm digging this. So I like the idea that I mean it will probably have multiple heralds, right? And I think its first herald is going to be a villager. And maybe and you know that could be kind of a fun, like how did the villager become this way? So let's make a new NPC. We'll go to my NPCs and factions page here. We'll see if I can find a picture of somebody that looks like a cool... How about this person here? Because she's got like a glowy eye thing, right? So maybe it won't be a villager. Let's, let's just... Let's see if there's anybody else. I think that I think that works pretty well. I need more NPC pictures. I'm going to run out of NPC pictures. Oh, I guess she went right to the top when I click that. Right? So now we have Kimley, Herald of the Fourth Emperor. And the idea is like, I think that Kimley was probably an explorer... Right, so Kimley was an explorer who found a similar canister to the one Terence wants the characters to explore. She found it, found the canister out near the acidic portals. 
So now we've got reasons to do, I can't spell canister apparently. So now we've got a way to kind of connect all three of these jobs, right? Although I, I guess what, what, what's the ship? I don't know. I love that sword one, right? But there could be a connection between those, those, those pools. What other, Kimley might've been transformed. Yeah, Kimley opened her nano, her, her nanite canister. And soon afterward began to preach about the return of the fourth emperor. Kimley doesn't appear to be a danger to herself or others. <laughs> I think she's the first herald, right? Cause I think we're gonna have, a, we're, gonna have right, we're gonna have multiple heralds. Doesn't appear to be a danger to herself or others. So the, the town folk of Badrav leave her to herself and largely ignore her weird, her proclamations. The, uh, the knights, the Angulan knights worry. And actually it's, what's her name of the Angulan knights? The Becklinks, McKenna, right? McKenna, the Angulan knight worries that Kimley might be onto something and is interested in explorers finding, explorers traveling to the acidic portals to find out why, to find out what's there. She worries about incursions by nasty otherworldly creatures. That's very cool. What else? I think at some point the, the second Oh, so there's a uh, meteor. There's a, a celestial object orbiting the planet that seems to be getting closer. It moves very fast, but has yet to hit the atmosphere. What else? Little is known about the fourth age, but there is, but some ancient lore describes an otherworldly being that ruled over all life on the planet for nearly a million years and then disappeared along with almost everything it over which it ruled. All right. So that's kind of cool. Do we have anything about the, the blade? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I need three more secrets. And then we'll probably call it a day at that point because I, my locations are fine. I don't need, I don't need locations. NPCs, I need Terrence. I need Terrence the Explorer. McKenna. Monsters, we have that where is it? The Latos adjunct. What I could do, save myself a, a click. I've got so many books to read. I can just go boop. It might be too big though. Notion doesn't like. Ah, oh, never mind. I'll just look at that book. All right. What else? 
so there's something about the discovery of the artifact that they found below that I'd like to, you know, could I tie that into this as well? I guess it could be a very advanced, the pieces of the artifact, the adjunct tried to fix is our pieces of a very advanced data sphere interface. Good enough. What age did the adjunct and the and the, the Latos and the adjunct, did they come from a particular age? And what, what is their involvement? Is the things that they found below, is their involvement there that can tie into the fourth emperor? I mean, it's a lot of coincidence, right? If it was, but you know, doesn't mean it can't happen. The fourth emperor is said, did I already have this one? Is said to exist across worlds simultaneously. All right, that's pretty cool. One last secret. Oh, I need a final secret. Be kind of cool to have a bigger secret of the, oh, uh, how about entire civilizations have existed and may, may still exist beneath the waves. Captain Aramis Greystone sought to discover these worlds until something destroyed his vessel, which is basically a fancy submarine, right? So that is pretty cool. Yeah, so I've got a, I've got a fair bit of secrets and I guess like meeting people and exploring the, the city of Bodrov can be a good piece. I'm, I'm wondering, like, I don't feel like I have enough material uh, to fill out an entire session. And part of it is that I, I have these quests, but I don't really want to fill them out, right? So I think that's fine. I think they have an opportunity to explore uh, Bodrov, which will be fine, and meet, and meet the N other NPCs, right? They can meet McKenna. Maeve McKenna. I think that I think that works. There she is. Right. So that covers the three. I had I had sort of three three kind of friendlyish NPCs. I have some other ones too, like people that rule over or not rule over, people that are, are exist in in the town. But I'll I'll fill those out as I go. Treasure, I like rolling on the cipher table. So I think that that's I think that that's cool. And monsters, I really don't, you know, I don't really need to have monsters planned out. So I've, I've got a fair bit of stuff. I, I wish I had more to fill in these locations. Like if they actually go there, what kind of stuff do they see? And I guess, let's see. Yeah, with, a, with a, like a couple of minutes, let's go to our friend Dyson Logos. And I'm looking for, I'm looking for a couple of maps, right? So... One of them would be this, let's see, the, the, I guess the locations are, if I was going to do three locations for this, I would have gray stones submarine. I would have, <laughs> I always, that's funny. I have a map that I use for ships that I use all the time. Uh, so I have gray stones submarine. I have the acid portals, right? As a, everyone wants to go there. And then we have like the data spheres, right? The avian data sphere. So one of the ones that I can use 
and I use it all the time, but it works great. Like this is one of those, like keep some maps on hand. There's a little final tip for the day. You know, keep some maps on it. I tried to do this with the companion, right? Both the companion and the workbook have a lot of different maps that you can just draw a lot of things. One map it doesn't have it. Now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, that would be nice to have a map for that. Would be a ship, a complicated, like a ship dungeon, right? And, but luckily we have one that we can steal from Ghost of Saltmarsh. I have used this map, I don't know how many times. I've used it a lot because it's like, it's one I, one I know. I think it's Salvage Operation. Yeah, so this map works really well as a, you know, as your generic ship map, right? So, so I mean, maybe I could do better than that. But like, hey, for two minutes work, it is pretty funny. It's called the Emperor of the Waves. Maybe we'll call that funny. Funny that. So that's fine. Then... I love how Numenera updates the link titles. So then we have need the acid pools, right? Put that in the in the in the database, and let's take a look at what Dyson's got for that. So this one's not so bad, right? So my key is like you go to Dyson Maps and you just start scrolling down till you find one that serves, right? And I'm not gonna be super particular. It needs to have pools. That would be great. But boy, like any of these work, you know. That's what's so funny about like this kind of stuff is like that's this is kind of cool. Oakland Cove monoliths. Let's see. Let's let's open this up here. And the fact that it's got these like room constructs works out pretty well. Because they can just have yeah, pools you can add to any map. That's true. It's not bad. I'll take it. Uh, let's see if I can paste that in here. I don't think it worked. Embed the image. There it goes. All right. And then the third was, so data spheres is harder, right? Like a map for data spheres. What do I have in mind for that? And what I have in mind is I need, I need like segments. I need like, especially if it's an avian. I, I think like in EverQuest, back when I played EverQuest, there was the plane of air. Let's see. And the plane of air was just a whole bunch of connected you know, a whole bunch of connected platforms, you know, and this, this could actually, this kind of thing could actually work where like, I guess it's plane of sky. It's the idea that it sort of floats, right? It, it's, it's, it's floating. The, the various islands are all sort of floating and they each sort of have their own, uh, you know, that's pretty good. We're going to grab that. Thank you. Thank you. EverQuest person. And there we go. I kind of dig it. And then you could have little, maybe there's kind of dungeons on top of this, these places. So we'll grab, you know, a couple of small ones, maybe. Dyson has these like little small, like this one's pretty cool. Like, you know, grab that. That's pretty cool. Towers and things like that. These are like visual, you know, sort of representations of, you know, metaphors that exist in the data sphere. So now I have, you know, I have a bunch of maps, right? I just grabbed right off of Dyson. This is like, you know, Dyson's the best, right? And the idea that I can sort of build my campaign out just by doing that. And now I've got, you know, three locations. So that's probably enough. If they did decide to go there, now at least I've got maps to go there. And I could sort of skim through bestiaries and stuff like that and find interesting things for them to discover. It'd be a little bit of a scramble, no doubt. 
you know, but there, there we go. I think if I had a little bit more time, I would figure out what that blade is. But again, I'll figure out treasure once I know where they're going because I don't have to give them the treasure right now. One other thing that I didn't get to talk about today, and I guess I'm going to have to talk about next week because, uh, oh my God, we're late, is we're going to, is how experience points work. Experience points in Numenera are a really weird thing. So we're going to just try it out today and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to talk about that more next week. So remind me to talk about experience points next week because they are a very important and very tricky bit of Numenera that that sets it apart. The whole idea of GM intrusions and earning experience points and how you spend experience points and the kinds of things you can buy with experience points, very different than kind of other RPGs. So we're going to talk about that. So I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me today. Always a great pleasure to have people to hang out with while I'm preparing, while I'm preparing for my game. If you enjoyed this show, you can help me out by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter, supporting me directly on Patreon, subscribing to my videos on YouTube, or picking up any of my books. Many of the books that I used, many of the tables and charts that I used to help generate my game today came from the Lazy DM's Companion, which you can now buy in PDF. I also came from the Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, which are available to patron supporters of Sly Flourish. So thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play your favorite RPG of choice.